Well, over the last number of weeks, we've talked about love where you live. We've talked about the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We talked about the great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the great compassion that uh, those who are hungry, those who are in need, those who are in prison, God is calling us to act and move. And yet the, the doing part of it isn't what wins us the prize in God's eyes. It's, it's a surrendered and transformed heart. The do is the byproduct. This is what we've been talking about, loving where we live. And I'm sure for a lot of you, uh, you'll sit there and you go, okay, I understand, Pastor, that, uh, that we're called to, to serve, we're called to love where we live. I understand that my neighbor is not just this hand-selected, hand-picked group of people who look like me and, and think like me and vote like I do. And uh, my neighbor is everyone who I come in contact with. I understand that. I even understand theoretically what it is, this looks like, but need a little help along the way. Let's, let's understand this just a little bit more and let's cut to the chase and find out how we do this. Well, today I want us to look at Luke chapter 6. And this is a, a parallel segment in Scripture that runs parallel to uh, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is what we know the Sermon on the Mount. This is, uh, a, this is really a Luke's version of what took place. Jesus had gone up the mountain to pray with his disciples, well, soon to be disciples, his, his followers, and in the morning he named his 12 disciples. And we're told that after that, he, he came to this clearing, this, this open space, it's almost like this natural amphitheater in the mountain. And he preached a sermon to the, the crowds that gathered. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but this was an opportunity for, for him to, uh, to kind of cut to the chase with those who were following him and those who were enamored with what he was teaching and to really uh, explain where he was going with a lot of this. Now, Luke chapter 6, I, I have to warn you, uh, it's going to rock your world. Uh, Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27, I can honestly say in its entirety, I've not preached a sermon on this. Um, and I don't know if it was because uh, I just felt uh, uneasy about it or what, but uh, you know, I pre preached bits and pieces of it. But you're, you're going to understand when we read this uh, here, starting at verse 27, profound teaching, much like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, but here... Uh, Jesus digs a little bit, and uh, like I've, I've said from weeks prior, um, here at Crossroads, you're never too far away from feeling uncomfortable, so here we go. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Did you just pick up on that? Uh, it's easy to gloss over, but he's saying, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray to those who hurt, pray for those, sorry, who hurt you. If, it, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. 
do to others as you would like them to do to you. Some of that is familiar. Some of that we've glossed over over the years. But look at verse 32. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners for a full return. He goes on to say, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Love where you live. Easy, right? I think we get this in our minds that, yes, pastor, theoretically, this is great. This is awesome. We're going to put some sheets on the back of the, uh, of the sanctuary. We're going to sign up. We're going to go. We're going to do. Theoretically, I'm on board. But can you just kind of explain this to me once again? Because I really wasn't listening the first time. Can you just kind of unpack this a little bit more, Pastor? What are you really talking about? What does this really look like? Like, honestly, between, you know, just you and me. What does this mean? Define this. Paint the picture. Give us some guidelines because we all know that, that you, you say to love everyone, but you really don't mean everyone, do you? I'm sure that's what these listeners to Jesus' message were thinking. Okay, I understand you're, you're talking about lending and giving and being nice and forgiving. Yeah, every, everyone. Theoretically, everyone. That's good. But there's got to be a limit. There really does have to be a limit because it's only logical. You have to come to this point where you go too far is too far. Too much is too much. There's a point where, could you say patience runs thin? Trust me, sometimes it does. There's got to be a limit to love, doesn't there? Think of Liz teacher at a daycare center, one day shares some deeply personal information with some co-workers. Just speaking from the cries of her heart, she, she needs help and she shares some information with some co-workers. Well, those co-workers end up using that information against her. Liz loses her job, left hurt and in pain, all the ramifications and repercussions of putting trust in people she thought was near, who were near and close to her, only to have it backfire on her. There's got to be a limit to love. How about Steve and Shannon, a married couple in their, in their late 50s and investing, looking to investing their, their life savings to make up for retirement and get into a place where they were comfortable for the rest of their lives and took their life savings and trusted a friend who was a financial uh, manager and they, they gave all of their money to this friend only to have that friend steal it all. They lost every penny. 
They lost all their life savings and the rest of their lives it was no longer going to be carefree and easy. But they were starting from scratch. A close friend who had stolen from them and robbed them blind left them with nothing. There has to be a limit to love. Well, how about Helen, a girl in her late 30s? Seemingly doing well, but as a child, she was victimized, abused physically and emotionally and sexually. And even now, years later, is suffering the consequences of that abuse. Lifelong scars, mental, physical, emotional trauma, there has to be a limit to love. It's only logical. You see, people are people, people are sinful. People are flawed. Paul exposes this in Romans 3, where he, goes, he says there's no one righteous. No, not one. There isn't a single person on planet earth who is righteous in God's eyes. He says, for all have sinned. Every single person has sinned and fallen short of God's standards. Every single person Come on, pastor, there has to be a line somewhere. There has to be a limit to love. So what do we do? What do we do when we experience pain and hurt? What do we, what do, we do when we experience betrayal? When we come face to face with sin that affects us deeply. I believe we lock down. We walk through life skeptical and cautious. We hold grudges. We build this wall around our lives. We justify our feelings of anger, hatred, loathing. We might go so far as to make a list of those who are worthy of love and those who aren't worthy of love. And then we go a step further. Not only do we have a list, not only do we have a line, not only do we have requirements, but we start to believe that if we have a line and a list, God must have a line and a list. If our patience runs thin at times, obviously God's patience must run thin as well. And there must be a limit to his love, a point where God's love runs out too. For sinners, for the fallen, for the messed up people. Maybe even for me. At what point does God's love run out? Where is the limit of his love? Thankfully. Thankfully, that logic doesn't carry into the heavens. It doesn't carry into the throne room of God. And I call it God breaking this barrier. God disrupting the logic of human mindset and our frame of mind and Him turning that logic on its head where a transformation takes place. And I believe this has to happen in each one of us first long before we can begin to look outward. Long before we can start signing up on sheets at the back of the sanctuary. Long before we can even decide that we're going to love where we live. We need to understand God's great love for us first before 
we can extend that to others. I want you to look at John 3.16. And if you're saying, Pastor, I've memorized that frontwards, backwards in about 13 different languages. I can sing it in Swahili. And, you know, look at it anyways. I want you to pull out your Bible, electronic form, paper version, you name it. Look at John 3.16. The way we know it, the way we understand it, the way I, I, I grew up memorizing it was this, maybe the, the original version that I learned it had a few more loveths and, and uh, King James vernacular, but all in all, it begins with, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, and, and for each of us, we go, yes, God's great love for the world. And that's a point to be made. It certainly is. John was making the point of God's love for humanity, for those created in His image, everyone. You are loved. The sign on the door on the way in. It's true. God loves you and so do we. But so often we get focused on the great love of God, which isn't a bad thing, but truly the writer here John had something else in mind, a little bit different tact. In fact, in the Greek Septuagint, the Greek version of John's uh, gospel, there's an adverb that's used there. And I want you to take a look at a different version, New Living Translation, which is one of a number of versions that picks up on this nuance of this Greek adverb. You notice the difference? Instead of saying and putting the focus on the great love of God, John, in fact, is saying this is how God shows his great love. This is how. This is the method. This is how God turns logic on its head. This is how God breaks down those barriers. This is how God destroys that line or that limit that we feel is in his love. This is how he does it. He sent His Son, Jesus, that all who receive Him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is how, this is the method, this is how God shows His great love, and it has to do with forgiveness. God loves the world deeply, but because He is just and holy, He, just, he doesn't offer us lenient love. His love doesn't look the other way when a trespass incur, uh, occurs. You see, to allow us to continue to sin and allow us to continue on our, our merry way wouldn't be love at all. At the same time, to, for us to fall under the full weight of the punishment for sin would in fact destroy each and every one of us. So how does God show His great love for us? It's as if a judge has cast judgment on a guilty person, a guilty individual, gives a sentence, and then the judge takes off his robe, walks around the bench, and pays the penalty for that transgression himself. That is how God shows His great love for us in sending His Son to pay the price for our sins. This is how it takes place. This is how God's great love is shown to us. He sent His Son, whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. And this has to begin in our lives first. How do we love? 
I believe it, it emerges, as we talked about last week, out of a changed and transformed heart. A changed and transformed heart. But many, I believe, can't get there. Many of us, I believe, cannot get there because something is holding us back. Something is blocking the way. Whether it's pains and hurts in our lives. Someone or something has hurt you. And you are truly and genuinely angry, maybe even angry with God. I believe some are in bondage. Something is holding you back, like chains holding you back from experiencing this in your life. For many, I believe there's sadness of unanswered prayers or unrealized dreams. Whatever it is, there, there's some sort of blockage that is impeding and restricting God's work within your life. Last few weeks, I've uh, shown you my great artistic abilities. You all know I can draw hearts. <laughs> As I was thinking about this and praying about it, I really felt that the Lord was giving me this picture of our hearts that, it, that are changed and transformed by the power of God at work in us. I believe there's this, this ministry of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ, that is attributed to our account, that is, that is credited to our account, that, that changes and transforms our heart. It truly is a regenerated heart that God has for each and every one of us. And yet, in this process, in this, in this transformation, for many of us, there seems to be a disconnect or a blockage that stops cold the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. You know, Ephesians 3.20 says that, that a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, and it goes on to say, according to His power that is at work within us. This is speaking of the power that is at work within us to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and through us to bless those around us. His kingdom come, His will be done in us to the world. But it talks about His power according to His power that is at work within us, but Many times there's that blockage. And I believe here this morning, many of us are living right there. That God's power at work in us is being stopped, is being arrested, is being restricted by something that is going on in our lives. You see, God is waiting and anticipating the impact and influence of your life in others. Yet there are hurts and habits and pains rendering you impotent in the spiritual realm. 
this transformation has stalled out. Impact awaits, yet your frailty trumps everything. What is holding you back? What is holding you back? What is stopping the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? I believe Christ wants to set you free today. I believe He wants to remove that blockage. Much like a heart, a doctor goes in or a surgeon goes in and there's a blockage. And whether it's a stint that needs to be put into the... the the blood of Jesus Christ flowing through your heart or whether it's a full bypass. I'm open to His options and whatever He wants to do, but hear me, I know He wants to do something significant spiritually in your life even today. Whether it's pains and hurts. And I believe not to belittle any of those pains and hurts. I believe they're deep hurts. And many times it's from someone else and what they've done to us or in our lives. I believe there are people here who have suffered from abuse, neglect, abandonment, mistreatment. You've been taken advantage of and there is genuine hurt and pain in your life. But I believe that God wants to change that and heal that heal the pain in your life even today. I believe there are some here this morning in bondage, whether it's through habits or addictions, sin, whether it's alcohol or drugs, unhealthy relationships, pornography, something that's rampant in our society today, eating habits, eating disorders, unhealthy lifestyles, Unhealthy decisions, self-destructive practices or routines. I believe God wants to set you free today. He is able to set you free today. Something else I believe is a restriction or something that, that chokes off the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is sadness. We live in a society that, that has more than we've ever had in history, and yet we are in the most despair of any generation. And sadness. Suicide rates are through the roof. I know for Dana and I, this is something that we're not immune from and weren't immune from. Years ago, just married, young couple. You've heard, many of you have heard our story before. We found ourselves seven years in trying to have a family with three miscarriages and a whole lot of despair and sadness in our lives. I believe it was something that was causing a blockage in God's work in my life. Let me tell you, when your heart breaks, God's heart breaks. God doesn't sit there and go, get your act together. Come on, just cheer up. Put a smile on your face. That doesn't work. Hear me, if your heart is breaking here this morning, the heart of God is breaking. But He doesn't just come alongside and say, there, there, everything will be okay. No, He has a solution. He has joy. 
He has contentment. He has peace. He has solutions. Maybe it's health situation of yours. It's brought, brought sadness into your life. Maybe relationships with loved ones. Maybe it's a job situation. Finances. Lack of finances. Lack of resources. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed, yet there doesn't seem to be any resolve. Maybe there's great amounts of depression that you're struggling with. Maybe you've even had thoughts of suicide. God wants to set you free from that today. He wants to set you free. A changed and transformed heart. We can't give away what we don't have. God's power at work in you, in me. And as I said, no matter what it is, no matter what the blockage is, God has the solution in your life, whether it's pain and hurt, whether it's bondage, whether it's sadness and despair, God has a solution and God has exactly what you need today. His power at work within you. Talked a little earlier about here at Crossroads, we're never too far from little discomfort. And I really got thinking today that, uh, that that's not the objective, that's not the target to make anyone feel uncomfortable. But in doing an exercise today, it's... Uh, I really believe that God wants to take us through an exercise here together of praying for one another and with one another and bearing up one another's burdens. I'm asking our, our, our worship team, sorry, to come on up. And, and here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to ask us to, uh, um, to move and to kind of huddle up in groups. And before you uh, kind of... Um, figure how you can hit the back door before this happens. Uh, hang with me, okay? Really do hang with me. Um, can we just close our, our eyes and bow our heads for a moment? I just want to pray. Lord, you have something for us today. And our eyes are certainly focused outwardly. They're focused on our community. They're focused on our neighborhoods. They're focused on how we can be Jesus to those around us. But Lord, I believe first and foremost, you want, to, you want to be Jesus to us. You want to bind up wounds. You want to heal injuries. You want to heal hearts. Most of all, you want, uh, you want to minister to us today. And so, Father, first of all, right now, I pray for those who are struggling with hurts and pains in their life. And they've been holding on to those. Some are even justifying the anger and the animosity that they carry. And yet there's an ongoing conflict in their lives because they know that you have so much more for them. And today, Lord, I pray it wouldn't just be theory, it would be reality. So come Holy Spirit and do your work. Lord, for those who are in bondage today, I pray release. Your word says that you come to proclaim freedom to the captives. And I know today you're going to set people free.
And then, Lord, for sadness, for those who are heavy in heart and heavy in spirit. Lord, I pray today you'd be the lifter of their heads. Joy would be restored. It says that that, uh, darkness is in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Lord, I pray that today people's nights would turn to dawn, would turn to day. That's my prayer, Lord. So do your work. Change and transform our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm inviting us to stand.